Good morning, everybody. It is June 3rd, 2022. It is 11.06 a.m. on the East Coast, and I am welcoming you to Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, and I am live right outside of Boston in Burlington, Massachusetts at the brand new HCM program, HCM Center of Excellence, at Leahy Hospital and Medical Center. So we're going to start with Marty and go right on down the line. Can you give introductions to yourself and let us uh, know who everybody is? Okay. First of all, thank you, Lisa, and welcome uh, to Burlington and Leahy Clinic, where we, as you said, have just launched our new HCM Center and program. I'm Marty Marin, uh, co-director of the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Center uh, at Leahy, and uh, joined um, by Ethan Rowan and Prem Shaker today. Look forward to having the opportunity to chat with you on the podcast today. Fantastic. Ethan. Hi, Ethan Rowan. Um, I'm the co-director of the HCM Center at Leahy. Um, again, thanks, Lisa, for coming out here and letting me join the podcast. Great to have you. Prem. Yeah. Uh, morning, everybody. And uh, Lisa, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity and for coming over and uh, having me on this podcast along with Marty and uh, Ethan. And uh, we're glad that uh, Leahy Hospital Medical Center is now a center of excellence uh, for HCM. Uh, I look forward to it. And as a introduction, I'm the division chief of cardiothoracic surgery at Leahy Hospital Medical Center. Some of this cast of characters is known to a lot of the HCM community. Um, and some faces might be a little bit newer. I'm gonna start with the new guy over here. Um, so Prem, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your training and how you became a cardiac surgeon? Um, my training goes back uh, at least three decades now. So I was originally trained as a cardiothoracic surgeon in India and finished my training in 1996. And subsequent to that, I left India after a couple of years to go to Australia. And I was in Australia for four years, from 98 to 2001. I did an advanced fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery there. Uh, then I came to Boston, Massachusetts, did an advanced training in adult cardiac surgery at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. And subsequent to that, I stayed at Brigham and Women's Hospital for the next 16 years as faculty. And the final five of that was as the Brigham and Women's Hospital Sec Division Chief. And since July of 21, I've been at Leahy Hospital Medical Center as the division chief. So when did you start becoming interested in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Um, I would say about 15 years ago, some, somewhere in the late, later part of uh, 2000, say 2007, 2008. Uh, that's when I first started doing the myectomy procedures. Um, I can tell you an anecdote if you like. Please. So, uh, so about 15 years ago, I was uh, approached by a nurse in the surgical intensive care unit who had uh, um, a who had her children go to school with the children of another gentleman um, who had a HCM but uh, was a grave digger by occupation. So oh you can imagine how physically intense that job was. And uh, he was being managed by a local cardiology in the suburban community and was on maximum medical therapy and was told that nothing more can be done. 
and uh, why don't you apply for disability and uh, move on from there? And this guy was about 35 years old. He had two kids, about eight and six. And this patient was presented to me. And I said, well, we could do an operation called a septal myectomy. And I had some training in septal myectomy in my lead up to being a faculty surgeon. We did a septal myectomy on this guy, the first one I did at the Brigham. And he went from class four symptoms to class one symptoms like within three months. And uh, it was a dramatic difference in his quality of life. He went back to work. He's still working 15 years later and he has not needed any other intervention. So I was so impressed by the um, dramatic change in people's lives that a myectomy procedure can do. And, uh, and in this particular uh, patient's case, I, you know, I not only made a difference to him, but his entire family, because he still is constructively employed, not on disability. Okay. And uh, that sort of was uh, a segue into what has become an experience of treating patients with HCM and making their lives better. It's been an interesting journey. So you've moved over here and then these guys over here, um, Marty and Ethan's program came to Leahy officially a month ago, but you guys started working together before the <coughs> official move. And my understanding is as of today, there have been 28 myectomies done with the team in front of you today um, here at Leahy. And I understand all the outcomes have been excellent. And you have not one former patient who's happy post myectomy, but just in the past couple of months, you've got 28 others. So Marty, what has it been like to work with Prem these past couple of months doing myectomies? Well, I mean, you know, we couldn't be more thrilled um, to have the opportunity really to work with Prem. And one of the main reasons uh, actually that uh, the ATM program uh, move to Leahy was to have this opportunity to in fact work with Prem. And uh, as by way of anecdote too, you know, I, um, I have known, been working in Boston now for 20 some years, I've known Prem uh, or his reputation for a long time. And um, I know that at one point about, what was it, about seven or eight years ago when we were uh, recruiting him potentially at that time to be leader over at uh, my former institution as chair of cardiac surgery. I was a big proponent of trying to get him to come and work with me at that time because he had such an incredible reputation as a sur cardiac surgeon, but also an incredible reputation in the myectomies already at that point. So I had really been very excited going back now almost 10 years in terms of wanting to have the opportunity to work closely with Prem and operate on patients with this disease to provide those patients incredible surgical outcomes because of what exactly Prem just said. He could have said it better with that anecdote. Myectomy in great surgical hands provides the opportunity to, to give patients back their life. And um, we know better almost than anyone having taken care of patients now uh, with HCM for 20 years, just how impactful great operation like can be for patients. And that means that we need to be working very closely with the surgeon um, who can do that. And, and there's just no question that we have been more than thrilled uh, with that chance with Pratt. So I've had the opportunity over the past day and a half or so to start to meet some more of the faculty and the leadership here at, at Leahy. And um, you've got some amazing new team members and some amazing new opportunities. 
Um, if, if nobody knows, knows what I'm going to be asking people. Just so you know, this is very impromptu <laughs> today. This is being very like off the cuff. So Ethan, can you talk to us a little bit about the EP services here and what capacity they now have for dealing with complex AFib and HCM? We'll start there, then we'll talk about some cardiac arrest issues. Yeah, we're really fortunate in terms of also having an amazing EP team uh, to work with. Um, specifically, uh, Bruce Hook and Jonathan Silver, both um, really experienced electrophysiologists um, both um, who throughout their career have really focused um, on complex AFib ablations. Um, AFib, um, as many of you know, um, occurs in 20 to 25% of HCM patients. Um, and it's much more challenging um, to manage than typical AFib. Um, and that's in large part because in HCM, the top chamber of the heart, the atrium, which can drive atrial fibrillation, probably has its own myopathy um, set of problems. And so simple AFib ablations and antiarrhythmetics typically um, don't cure, quote unquote, atrial fibrillation and, and often need much more complex treatment. Um, and Dr. Hook and Silver are really excellent um, in terms of their um, skills um, as um, AFib ablationists. Um, and also something I didn't know initially, um, but there's um, a, what's called a hybrid AFib ablation procedure. Um, and really lucky in terms of um, Leahy's skill of doing that procedure, which combines a surgical um, and percutaneous option. So a, a less invasive and a surgical option, which is a little more definitive as well um, in treatment of AFib. There hasn't been a lot of data on that particular procedure in HCM yet, um, but what I've learned over the past couple of days, I, I think it's a great area for not only some clinical treatment, but also the opportunity to learn more about what its utility will be in HCM, not only here, but elsewhere. Um, so just staying on the AFib thing for a minute, Prem, um, are you doing maze and atrial clips as well in your myectomies when called for? Yeah, we when, when patients with HCM have AFib, uh, we do combine the surgical myectomy with a full maze and the removal of the left atrial appendage in order to prevent future stroke risk. So that is routinely done. Um, Marty, what else do we know about the EP department in terms of devices? Well, I mean, we got with the EP department that Ethan was just talking about in terms of Bruce Hook and, and Jonathan Silver, who are the two lead EPs we're working with, enormous, enormous number, enormous experience, say decades of experience with devices in patients with both HCM and non-HCM heart disease. And so with enormous experience with both the implantation of primary and secondary prevention devices here, um, including, of course, the newer subcutaneous device as well, which is uh, such an important option for many of our young patients who don't want to be subjected, of course, to complications long-term of transvenous leaking. So we've got a great experience with the sub-Q device here as well. Um, so we're very excited, very excited to work closely with that group on all aspects of EP and HCM. And I'll also say, and I think we're going to get to this probably, 
one of the strengths, um, another one of the strengths that brought us here was the opportunity to work so closely with EP in under the same roof, essentially. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the center, the structure of the center, the physical structure of the center in a minute, but they are working with us and are excited to work with us literally together in clinics in patients so that patients, in other words, don't have to go to a different area of the hospital to get their electrophysiology consultation or device interrogation. So mm -hmm. it's all going to be under one, literally under one roof. And so we're, we're really excited about that aspect of the program as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit about logistics. <clears throat> so I can see our car from here and we're in the consult room of yeah. the center. So it's really convenient. We're right off of Route 95 and the parking is steps away from the door, which for those of you in heart failure, be a little challenging managing a large campus. So and it's free parking. Did I say it's free parking? Pay a pretty penny downtown Boston, but that's a whole other story. Um, so we've got really convenient parking. We come into the building, up the elevator, a couple steps away, and you're at the HCM Center. Um, Marty and Ethan, why don't you kind of take us for a virtual walk in our heads through what this part of the clinic looks like. So. Who wants to take it? So, um, the clinic, um, I think, is really unique. So um, in that you have the ability for um, a lot of the non-invasive tests that we do to be done directly in the clinic. Um, so both um, echocardiograms as well as stress echocardiograms are done in the clinic itself. Um, we have a car we're going to have um, cardiopulmonary exercise tests, a CPAP machine as well in the clinic space. Um, then we have two exam rooms and then um, this consult room as well. Um, and then as, as Marty was saying, um, uh, the electrophysiologists here are also having kind of joint clinics with us. Um, and we have all the device interrogation equipment here in clinic as well. So really can provide comprehensive care um, for patients on the outpatient setting. And, and I'll add to that, Lisa, you know, I think the, one of the observations that, you know, we've had over many years is that the, one of the feedbacks that we've gotten consistently over now, again, 20 years was that it was really difficult for patients to come downtown and fight the traffic, you know, a complicated parking lot. It's hard to get into these hospitals downtown. They're very difficult to navigate your way through. It takes a lot out of patients. It takes a lot out of anybody. It left a lot of patients with heart disease. So that was always something that we, we, we heard a lot about. Patients wanted to come and see us and then everybody appreciated that. But the, 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 the act of coming to see us was really uh, an issue. And so um, you know, part of the vision here is the idea that we can provide world-class care from medical to surgical for a disease like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in an environment that provides a patient journey and experience that's much easier and more enjoyable, but easier physically and mentally on patients. And that's really, really important, particularly with a chronic genetic heart disease like HCM, where patients, of course, are coming not only yearly, but in some cases more than yearly to see their cardiologist for care. Okay? And I'll also emphasize that, that that may in fact become even more important as we get into a newer era with therapies that look like they are going to have a role in this disease, right. inhibitors, that, but yet require 
a lot of longitudinal, meaning follow-up visits that are more than just the annual visit. Okay. So being able to provide easy access to world-class expertise, I think is only going to become more important. I couldn't agree more. I mean, with the REMS on the, on the current CAMS IOS, um, right. you're needing echoes every couple of weeks and then every quarter it gets, it gets a lot. It's a lot of visits. I really love the idea of this program specifically having the echo equipment embedded right here. Sure. Um, I can remember, <laughs> I've been around to a lot of cardiology programs over my life. And it's always this big walk to go to, to echo. Yep. And then if you're gonna go do a stress test on top of it, so you're exhausted, you're stressed out, and you're moving all over the place to these different tests. Yep. Now, the only test that's not here for obvious reasons is MRI, and that's in the other building, right. which is really not that far away. It is a nice light walk if somebody wanted to walk it. It's a little rainy today and you know, didn't want the hair to get wet, so we drove but um, it's not far at all. It's, right. it's literally 30 second drive, not even. So it's very, very convenient that way. Now, Prem, I was next door to your office today, which is in the other building that's 30 seconds away by car and probably two minutes by walking if you really wanted to do it. Um, and you're right by the EP department, but EP is coming over here. And will you come over here to consult with patients or will they go to you? Um, we'll be flexible. And uh, if, if required, uh, we are happy to come here and see patients along with uh, Marty and Eden, or or vice versa. If um, you know, if it uh, from a time standpoint, if it turns out that there are two different points in time, um, happy to stagger it as well. So anything to do, anything we can do to make the patient's journey better, um, I'm happy to do that. And so what's your, your thoughts? I mean, I think a lot of patients, my experience also kind of like seeing the hospital and where they're going to be staying after the myectomy as well. So I think actually my experience has been a lot so far, 28 patients, they kind of like seeing you in your space and, and kind of knowing where they're going to be in terms of in the hospital. And, and it's all really close. So everybody is right here. Um, it's not a humongous campus, but it's quite sprawling. Um, there's lots of green space, which I really like, especially all the hospital stays that I've had. I've done inner city a lot. My transplant was in Newark. We're just going to leave it there, people. Um, not a lot of green space, not a lot of pretty space. Um, but here you've got a lot of greenery, a lot of nice, nice views. And two hotels, by the way, that are very yeah. close, that are yeah. very nice, that have shuttles to the campus for patients. So for those coming from out the distance that need to stay overnight, either to see us or we may be having surgery or other procedures, two very nice hotels. Yeah, we're we're staying currently in the Marriott, which is literally down the street, like a half a mile. Um, and it had a nice lounge, had a nice, you know, um, common area, nice bar. But we were just kind of there having dinner. Um, so it was nice. And you guys actually had, there was an event over there last night for, I guess, um, the fellows or something. You had some kind of a, a party over there. We didn't get to go there. We were out with you guys having dinner. Um, so uh, by the way, there's somebody named Alex watching. She might be related to you. I just, I just saw her name pop up. So hi, Alex. Um, and Laura says hi. Laura's 
so that's, that's a fun part about you know, podcasting live. The other part of it also is that uh, the, sub, the town of Burlington has right next to the hospital, a large mall. Ooh, uh, I didn't know that. And then, you held that back. Uh, and then plenty of um, food opportunities. Yes. So uh, there's not only accommodation, you know, there's uh, nice restaurants and uh, shopping and whatever else that might, uh, you know, um, excite patients. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's always fun right. to do that kind of stuff when yeah. you're out doing something like a doctor's appointment. We used to always take our trips and like do a little fun stuff while we were out there anyway. So that's good to know. And there's a really good cookie place. I'll get you guys the information on the cookie. And I'll just also mention though that, that, that too, that the, you know, although we're a little bit outside the city and we're talking about the advantages of that, of course, here, the other mm -hmm. advantages too, that or the other point to make about that is that for those that are flying in to see us, you know, the distance from Logan to here is only 20, 25 minute drive. So you're really not talking about having to, to necessarily uh, drive that much longer than you would to any other hospitals, even in the city, because you just get on the highway and you're here 20, 25 minutes from Logan. So there's a lot okay. of our patients are flying in. So if somebody were to be an East Coaster and taking the train up, yeah. they could take it from that's right all the way to South Station. And, yep. then and then it's a 20 minute, 20 minute drive, depending on the traffic to, mm -hmm. to here. So it's not as if we're that far out that even that kind of transportation becomes that much different than it was before. Yeah. Time-wise, it was the same for me to drive from Jersey to here as it was into, you know, the center of Boston, but I didn't have right. to do that tunnel thing, which I was never really a fan of, just to say the whole dig thing was not a fan of the dig. Um, so that's good. So other services that you have here, I met your advanced heart failure physician yesterday. You want to talk a little bit about advanced heart failure services? So very fortunate, Dave Benesi. Um, Director of Advanced Heart Failure here. Um, he has a lot of experience. We've known Dave. He um, used to rotate at the same hospital we were at. I think he, did he do his fellowship there as well? Yeah, a while ago. Yep. So, um, known him for a long time. Um, has a lot of experience there for as well, treating patients um, with HCM who develop advanced heart failure. Um, and then also just to, on, on top of that too, uh, to expand the issue of the very, you know, very uncommon but important area of advanced heart failure with transplant, mm -hmm. you know, Leahy is part of a, a big healthcare network in Boston now called Beth Israel Leahy. And um, the other sister part of this network, Beth Israel, um, has just acquired the opportunity um, to advance forward with a transplant program. And so the opportunity to have heart transplant option within the system, so in other words, to still follow our patients until they get transplanted, is, is here as well for that option, for those that unfortunately need that. Okay, so we've handled surgery. We've handled general HCM management. We've talked about EP, advanced heart failure. I did also meet your interventional cardiologist who will be doing your CATs and the alcohol ablations that might be necessary. You want to talk about that service? Yeah, sure. I mean, so so the the um, lead um, in, with interventional cardiologist is, is Tom Pimonti, who um, I also have known for a long time. He's a senior interventional cardiologist. Mm -hmm. He has um, been practicing uh, for decades in Boston, and he is widely regarded as one of the most well-respected, skilled thoughtful interventional cardiologist um, in the city and uh, an incredible, incredible reputation. 
um, with great, and that comes with, of course, great outcomes. And that includes alcohol self-ablation, which he's been doing as a part of their structural um, heart disease uh, interventional program for years now. And so Tom Pimonte is going to be leading that effort here in terms of helping to do those procedures and take care of those patients um, who need the less invasive option of alcohol ablation to relieve heart failure from obstructive ACM. Okay. Want to say something? Yeah, if I just along the lines of uh, you know allied specialties, uh, there's always a the concern you know when patients come for myectomies about uh, you know what is the surgical infrastructure around myectomies, right? Please. There's always a concern about anesthesia and other things. So. Uh, just out of historical uh, note, uh, Leahy Hospital and Medical Center has actually been performing heart surgery for over four decades. So heart surgery has existed at, at Leahy Hospital for a very long time. And at this time, we have a group of um, anesthesiologists, cardiac trained anesthesiologists who are also trained in echocardiography who are really world-class, um, very good support system with our advanced practitioners, uh, perfusion technologists. I think they're about the most important people in the room. They're to you, of course. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> kind of keep indeed your brain awake. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, we have a very beautiful uh, state-of-the-art uh, intensive care unit. Uh, and Dr. Zaymert is the chair of surgical critical care. So it's a well-oiled machine uh, uh, equipped to do high-end cardiac surgery. And they have been doing that for a while for those that may not be aware. And additionally, when I moved in July of 21 to from the Brigham and Women's to Leahy Hospital, I brought with me my entire team, um, the entire a, a very select group of core team members, um, uh, including the chair of surgical critical care, a few advanced practitioners, and uh, some anesthesiologists and nurses accompanied me over here. So we literally exported you know, a, a, a good team from the Brigham into an already existing good team and Leahy to make it a great team. So what you're telling me is we took the best of one program and the best of another program and we brought them together to build the Uber program. Yep. Is that what yeah. happened here? That is exactly what happened. <laughs> okay. You couldn't have said it better. I, I, and that was completely unplanned, by the way. So I do want to take a moment to just talk about the importance of the people behind the scenes that you don't get to see every day. And when I say perfusionists are like some of my, like, I admire them more than most people might think I would because they, their technology and their specialty have really helped to improve outcomes from cardiac surgeries across the board. And that fear that people used to have about, oh, I don't wanna have open heart surgery. I'm gonna end up with all these weird complications and I'm not gonna be oxygenated properly and my brain isn't gonna be my brain after surgery. So perfusionists who've made the improvements there. The surgeon's skill is not to be discounted, but if you're not oxygenated, we don't really do well after surgery. So perfusion technology and having all of those, the techs and the PAs and everybody who knows how to do what they do in that OR, critically important. So much so that when I went in for my heart transplant, I don't know who knows the story or not. They went, do you want anything before you go in for surgery, Lisa? And I'm like, no. They're like, you don't want any, you know, you don't want to go to sleep now? I'm like, nope, I want to stay awake. 
they're like, why? I'm like, I need to say hi to everybody. So I go into the OR and the perfusionists are in their corner and everybody's running around. I'm like, everybody stop. They all just kind of looked at me like, what? I'm like, I just want to say thank you. I hope everybody had their coffee and I want you to have a great day, play good music, have good vibes and thank you. And they all looked at each other and they're like, nobody's ever done that before. So if you're going to surgery, just say hi to everybody before you go to sleep. Makes you feel a little bit better. And I woke up and look at, that was five and a half years ago and it worked. So it, it can work that way. Well, I just want to say though that, yeah. that you know, what Prem just said um, about, you know, you've done an incredible job of bringing, as you said, um, together um, a group of people um, to make a great program even better over the last year and a half. That's translated, you know, into um, what we have heard from patients, you know, who've had surgery. Uh, you said, I mean, you know, we've had um, patients comment already just how great the experience was of the post-op care, you exactly. know, which is obviously so yeah. critical. We talked about what happens intraoperatively in the operating room, but also obviously the five or six days post-operative is obviously critical to it. The experience that patients have had because of the team behind Prem um, has been invaluable. In fact, as just one hand of them, I mean, one of these patients that we, that we operated on came from Hawaii that operated on here. Really? Yeah, in Hawaii. Um, and she has commented multiple times in emails and other testimony just how happy she was with not only how great she feels right now from the operation, but the experience that she had in terms of post-op care was awesome. phenomenal. So um, he's done an incredible, Prem's done an incredible job to make that kind of experience what it is today. So let's talk about traveling. So obviously those who are in, you know, Massachusetts and the Boston area, it, it's easy to know where the program is and how to get here. Uh, you know, I used to travel up here from New Jersey, four hours in the car, um, which became my watermark. I figured if I could drive four hours, five hours was acceptable. And that's what I thought every, a center of excellence should be five hours from everybody. A, we have hit that goal that most patients can actually have an HCM, HCMA recognized center of excellence within three hours of their home in most populated areas. So yay, we've, we hit that goal, got a few more areas to hit. But what about travel-ins, fly-ins, um, and telemedicine? Can we talk a little bit about how people from a distance can get a consult and what that's gonna look like now? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we, look, what, what we learned um, we learned, obviously, one of the many things we learned during COVID was just how important and how effective telemedicine can be in general, but of course, in this disease as well, for patients to, who, who don't live close, and there may be other complicating factors for them to come in, like COVID, and et cetera, the, the opportunity to um, provide expert consultation through telemedicine um, was invaluable, and, 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 and we will continue to have a place as we go forward. Good. Even though we're back to obviously you know in person, uh, and and that role is here too. We have the opportunity to do telemedicine with patients um, selectively to give that kind of consultation if they can't come in. I will also mention too that we happen to be very fortunate. Leahy has a very uh, robust international program for patients. So international patients, there is a program here dedicated um, to helping them navigate coming, seeing the specialist, um, and getting the care they need from wherever they may be coming from, okay? So we've got a whole team here that can help facilitate that as well. And I think that's gonna be really important going forward, uh, not only here, but other places, telemed, 
travel in, specialty yeah. care. It's it's accessible. Absolutely. It's very accessible. We actually have a comment here from somebody on Facebook who was in the UK and was told by a cardiologist to go home and live their life and no additional information was given, no treatment options were given, and they haven't been seen by a cardiologist since 2018. I highly encourage you to give us a call at the office and we'll help maybe set you up with some other practitioners that we work with in the UK and maybe get that situation fixed up a bit. And uh, Patricia's commenting that uh, both her and her daughter have had myectomies and now her granddaughter needs a myectomy and they've had the treatment, they know how well it works and they're really happy about um, their decision to have had a myectomy. So, yay. Um, so what else haven't we talked about? We've talked about interventional cardiology, electrophysiology. We've talked about surgery. We've talked about medical management. We've talked about new drugs coming up and the need for better echoes and the convenience of the echoes here. Um, so I've met yesterday with members of your mental health team and we're gonna to start to figure out ways to integrate um, mental health services. Um, no stigmas here, people. HCM is hard and life is hard and the world in 2022 is hard. Um, and we want to make sure you have all of the resources needed. So we're developing that out. I met with um, dietitians and, and lifestyle to work on programs for that. They've only been here a month. It's going to take a little while to get all these, all these other programs up and running. Um, research. Let's talk a little bit about research. What are we going to be working on? Clinical trials? What's happening? Ethan? Well, um, both the clinical trials that are ongoing in HCM, excited to be a part of them, led by drug companies. So both um, hopefully embryo study will get up and running soon. Um, cytokinetics, I'm um, really excited about those. Um, and then obviously also a bunch of investigator-driven uh, research projects to continue our work in terms of Marty and Barry helping to define HCM, the treatment course for patients, and really Barry's work in, in changing um, the perception of HCM and a lot of the treatment options available for patients. And then I'll just also mention, though, Ethan's being modest a little bit, but I mean, one of just his- a little. Uh, just a little bit. Ethan's done an incredible job um, of uh, pushing forward a number of clinical research uh, initiatives that have made a huge difference in how we you know, look at the treatment. But one of the things that Ethan's working on right now that's really interesting um, is the role of patient uh, devices. So these, these um, uh, patient, uh, what do we call them? Wearable, wearable. Wearable technology, sorry, wearable technology. What the impact in terms of the info, we get a lot of information from wearables, as you know, yep. um, and patients are using them a lot now. And so the question really is, including detection of atrial fibrillation, which is incredibly important in rhythmic disease. So Ethan's really starting to put together an investigation into what is going to be, or what could be the impact, the beneficial impact of wearable technology in a disease like this. So that's, a, that's something to look forward to for, for the future. I think it's going to be really interesting. I know a lot of people are capturing data and I, when you know what you're capturing and then we say very cavalierly, we'll just send it off to your team. Somebody's got to look at that. Somebody's got to manage it. Somebody's got to get back to you. So what are the best systems in place for that? What do we need to learn? How can we, the patients, be more effective in our communication with our team and not waste resources and time, but get the information that we need and they need and make it more meaningful. 
Um, and, and both these devices may give us the opportunity, you know, because it's a, a, obviously patients have been with this disease their whole life. And so, you know, kind of long periods of time. And so some of the information that a wearable device could give may help us to predict better or beforehand what may patients may be headed toward in terms of issues to mm -hmm. help them provide treatments early. Yeah, data, the data captured on these devices is unbelievable. The question right now is, um, you know, work to figure out what data is impactful um, and meaningful and predictive um, for patient. patients to right. use it. So additionally, we're going to be working on some projects together to help identify the undiagnosed, which right. is critically important to all of us. We don't want people out there with undiagnosed HCM and unmanaged or undermanaged. Like this woman who just posted here, I was diagnosed and told, go on and live your life. There might be things that can be done to improve your quality of life. And we have started talking about it in the past three years or so, but it's the burden of disease for HCM. You know, we are living with the consequences every day. Our encounters with our healthcare providers are a couple of times a year. So how do we make sure that we're living the best lives possible and not missing opportunities for surgeries and interventions and medications that can actually help us live more productively and thereby help our mental health and our financial health and our ability to work and be part of our families the way we want to be. So I think we're all focused on trying to make the most out of this one wild and precious life and, and be able to live it as best as possible. Um, Prem, we have a question from somebody that was here this week. How many myectomies did you do before this year? And let's talk about what your number is at this point and what we're looking forward to for the rest of the year. Um, well, I think over a 15-year period at the Brigham and Women's, I mean, it is a, uh, a center of excellence in itself, uh, mm -hmm. but the volume was not as high uh, at the Brigham. So probably did about 150 in, in that period. And clearly in the last five months, we've done 28. Uh, and that speaks to the, uh, the, the program that Marty, uh, Barry, and Ethan have brought here. I mean, uh, they are an international force in, the, uh, in, this, uh, in this area. So uh, we've done 28 in the last uh, five months. So if we were to just mathematically translate that, it would be about 75 a year. I would think, and I, I think Marty you and Ethan, you would agree that that would be an appropriate. Yeah, I think that's where you'll probably be this year. And I'm, I'm gonna expect that given the history I have with these guys and given the skills that you have and the team that I've seen, I think you're probably gonna be a little bit higher than that next year. So take your vacations early. Um, <laughs> we, 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 want, we want you to get some rest, but we also need you to be here. So. Take one weekend. Okay. Um, pediatrics. What's the plan with pediatrics? We're getting questions on. Well, I think, you know, we, you know so here, here's the answer to that. I mean, I think we have felt very comfortable as experts in this disease taking care of patients um, who are in the adolescent age range of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, even a little bit younger, even as adult, you know, this is a, HCM is largely taken care of by adult cardiologists. Um, and we have always felt and have, in fact, taken care of over the last 20 years of patients who are in the pediatric age range. And um, we intend to continue to do that um, here at Leahy. Um, the institution supports that as well. There may be 
you know, with that said, there may be select patients in whom there may be the issue of complex procedures that need to be done. I'm talking largely about complex, maybe device implantations in really young patients, which is really a very complicated, can be a very complicated situation where we may be working with other colleagues who have expertise in that kind of area to do. Um, but in general, in terms of seeing patients and providing consultation, we continue to do that. So you can do family screenings here, Correct. and screenings. if you need advanced pediatric services, yep. you have relationships with the individuals yep. who are going to assist in that. Family screening and evaluation, I think you can see patients, see patients basically age 8 to 10 and, and older. <coughs> and this is a good opportunity for me to remind everybody that on June 9th, I will be holding a Big Hearted Warrior tour with five pediatric cardiologists. Um, to focus in on issues related to the littles, like the little, little kids with syndrome disorders um, that are related to HCM and then adolescents with HCM and others. So join us on June 9th for that program. Um, so we have some other questions coming in. Now we have questionable people here, or questioning people, not questionable. <laughs> You're not questionable people. I just don't have good English today. Um, genetics, what are we doing with genetics here? Is there gonna be any research in the genetics space? Might have met somebody who told me a thing. Um, so what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, we're offering, uh, of course, we're offering clinical genetic testing for patients where that's applicable. We're providing the opportunity to get that testing done. We provide the opportunity to interpret those test results in a clinically meaningful way, the impact of those test results being what they be. And we also have opportunity for patients if they want to, or whether it's when it's, when it's um, uh, the right situation to, to meet with uh, genetic counselors here as well. So we have all of those services here uh, to complement the um, genetic testing aspect to this disease. I'll also say, you know, too, you asked about research, you know, we, right before coming on with you live, we were actually having a meeting talking about a project for which we are looking at right now, a thousand consecutive patients that were genetically tested um, in, our, in our clinic and, and, and the impact or relationship between mutation and outcome. So that's an investigation that's going to be going on here, looking at the, the, the meaning of um, mutations as they pertain to natural outcomes for patients. So we are doing research in genetics as well. Fantastic. So I have a question here. I'm going to give my opinion, then Marty can give his. Somebody says, does it matter where I get my cardiac MRI? Can I do it close to me or should I go to a center of excellence? Uh, I'm going to say that the protocols that I've seen in some community hospitals may miss the mark and they may not get the right images. So I highly recommend all imaging be done at your center of excellence. Your community cardiologist has a huge role to play here in management and communication and maybe you know an event monitor and that type of thing is great to be done at home. But imaging, I truly believe is best done at your center of excellence. Marty, Ethan, Prem, Give me your opinions. You've heard mine. I think I'm, I'm under the ideal world, um, I completely agree, Lisa. Um, I think um, if someone though has had a cardiac MRI in the community, it's hard to have insurance justify repeating it if it's recent. Um, we obviously will then take a look at the MRI, make sure we have all the data uh, from it that we really need to make sure we're caring for patient appropriately. And then in the circumstance where it's not comprehensive um, study, um, we'll then repeat it. Graham, Marty, agree? Agree. Agree. Uh, I agree. 
Okay, I, I'm gonna take a moment to take a dive into MRI, into something that I recently came across. Um, so during a navigation call, somebody was asking um, about you know, device decisions and their <laughs> local cardiologist did an MRI and it came out at 28% Scarboard. And that's quite high. And I said, why don't you have somebody else reread this? Because Spidey Sense isn't working for me here. And if it were me, I'd want to know if it's really 28% or not. So we had somebody else read it and they came back with 6%. Not 26%, 6%. So 28 to 6%. Marty, could you please help me understand how there could be such a great variety in understanding what SCAR is and isn't on an MRI? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think without getting you know too complicated, you know, the bottom line is that there can be aspects in SCAR assessment is one of them, where you know the expertise is really important here. The judgment and expertise of, of, of clinical experts is really, really important to be able to get the most reliable information that we can. Because these are kind of complicated tests sometimes. They're, 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 they're um, specialty tests for specialty disease. And I think, you know, for that reason, there's no question, and this has been your message all along, that is why care for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy really should, you know, in large part, in, 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 be, be these particular these questions be, be, be evaluated at least at, by at least once the patients at an ACM center of expertise. Because that's where the expertise would be possible. Of course, that doesn't mean we're obviously the ACM centers are working with 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 the referring cardiologists. It's a it's a team approach. But when we're talking about doing and interpreting a lot of the kind of testing for this disease, a lot of that's really most reliably done at centers of expertise. And scar assessment is one of those. I'm going to put a last call for questions out uh, to our Facebook watchers, and if you're listening to the podcast while you're hiking, walking, doing whatever, um, you can always come back and revisit us and go to our um, social media channels and you can pick this up at a later date. Uh, if you're listening and you want to see who's talking to you, you can come to Facebook or YouTube and watch it there. Um, so as I'm waiting for any other questions, any last thoughts or anything you guys want to share that I didn't bring up about the new program? Say so three things. Well, one is... Uh... Um, you know, it's it's an honor and privilege for us to have um, a program uh, such as uh, the one led by Barry, Marty, and Ethan to come and work with us at Leahy. I mean, like I said earlier, they're an internationally recognized force in this disease, and uh, and it's it's such a great honor for me and the institution that they chose to come work with us, and uh, we're looking forward to a long journey ahead, uh, providing great care to patients with this condition. Secondly, we're again honored and privileged to have you here, Lisa, uh, on behalf as the founder of the HCM Academy, and uh, your. Okay, I'm not the founder of HCM Academy. No? HCMA. Oh, okay. HCM Academy. That's a whole other program. Okay. We can talk about that later. Okay. Misspoke. Sorry. That's okay. It's another A. <laughs> but um, the fact that you're here and uh, uh, you know uh, we we greatly appreciate your stamp of approval of this uh, program and it it goes a long way in making this uh, program even better. So thank you for coming. Thank you for involving me in this podcast uh, that you regularly do. 
Uh, and finally, you know, uh, from a very personal standpoint, I'd like to say that uh, uh, doing septal myectomy or extended septal myectomies or other versions of disease, uh, surgical corrections for this condition is one of the most elegant operations in heart surgery. It is probably the most elegant operation in heart surgery. It, it, it is a very good anatomical and physiological exercise that has almost immediate um, uh, a demonstrable effectiveness in the operating room itself. We can tell that this patient is going to do really well even before they wake up. And that is then justified as uh, when, when they become better and they go on to lead their lives. So that is what keeps me uh, doing this operation and uh, I love doing it. And I'm glad that I have uh, bigger and greater opportunities to do this um, at Lee Hospital now. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot off of that and a comment that somebody else made here. Um, I talked to you a little bit about this last night at dinner. I think when you have heart disease and you have a structural heart disease, if it's something else structural, we tend to fix it pretty darn quick. You, you meet a surgeon early on in a process if you have a valve problem or if you have you know, a congenital defect, an atrial septal defect, a ventricular septal defect. We go in and we fix it and we normalize the heart to the best of our abilities. When you have HCM, some institutions in some countries say, when you're bad enough, we'll let you meet the surgeon. Don't be afraid of the surgeon. Okay, he's really not a bad guy, people. He does good things. Yes, I know it seems like a big deal to have open heart surgery. I've been there, I've had a transplant. I've also had abdominal surgery. And if I had to compare the two, Abdominal surgery was way worse and more painful than the, the surgical part of my transplant. So I know it's scary. And if anybody goes into it saying, oh, yay, I want this, well, maybe you need to see the psychiatry department first. But it's not something you should be just stone cold against. It's, it's doable. And look, I hardly have a scar. It's like nothing. So don't worry about the scars. Don't worry about that kind of thing. And don't be afraid to meet a surgeon. Um, a, they're nice people, and B, they really can do a lot to help. Yeah, so, they don't bite. well, much. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't think so. Um, so, no, I've never been bitten by a surgeon. So, Barbara is asking Marty here for a little bit of an explanation that uh, she's saying you gave an excellent explanation of NAVA versus surgery in the last visit. Can you share your thoughts on that with the audience? Yeah, sure. Uh, Barbara's asking um, me to just comment about the newer medical therapy that's emerged recently called Navicampton as it relates to what we've been talking about a lot today, the established kind of gold standard therapy for symptomatic intracular exam, surgical myectomy. And I think here's what I'll say. Uh, I think we're all enthusiastic about the fact that we have what looks like a very good additional medical option, therapeutic option to treat symptomatic obstructive ACM in addition to the other drugs that we have. So we're always open and excited about the opportunities for more options for patients. And I think the answer, I think Barbara, maybe asked, what's the answer to, you know, you know for <coughs> Navicampton for surgery? And I think the, the bottom line is that um, to just make a, a, what I think is a, a fair statement at this point in time, that decision ultimately needs to be individualized. 
you know, for, for each patient. So we have to really look at a number of different factors for any individual patient to determine what may be the best therapeutic option for them. Okay? There's not one, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation, and it never has been for HCM. It's never going to be. So everything has to be individualized. Patients need to hear the pros and cons of all the options so they can be best informed about what the best choice for therapy for them is. So I don't think we can ignore this question because there might be consequences later because it's from somebody named Alexandra. Um, what are the benefits of myectomy versus alcohol acceptable ablation, Dr. Marin? Thanks, Alex. Um, <laughs> the, well, look, I mean, I think, you know, again, as I was just talking about, you know, in relation to Mavicampton for surgery, I think a similar kind of principle applies to answering that question too. Alcohol sedulation is a great procedure. It's very mature at this point. It's been around for 30 years. It's a less invasive, but still invasive, catheter-based approach for relief of obstruction. And there may be reasons why a particular patient may be better suited for alcohol ablation versus surgery. I don't have time to get into all those. And so therefore, again, the point is, is that it's another option. The right choice depends on the individual patient, their anatomy, their, you know, their, their desires, their comorbidities, a lot of other factors. And that's why HCM centers of excellence really are the place to have that conversation. So that was a great wrap up, Alex. Thank you for putting that hook in there because I think where we are today in June of 2022, we have a toolbox yeah. that has a lot of tools in it now. Sure. Figuring out which tool and when to deploy it for which patient and which anatomy, that my dear friends is where the artwork comes in. Um, there's some clinical decision-making and there's also a little bit of gut instinct from people who've been around and seen different anatomies. And yes, you wanna lean into the clinicals and the statistics and, and all the published literature, but there is something about doing this in high volume and having seen 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 patients before that gives the program the ability to make and help you in that shared decision-making process make really wise choices for your healthcare. You know, you got one heart. And my favorite line from my favorite poem is Mary Oliver, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. And in that one wild and precious life, you typically only get one heart. So we want to keep them in there as much as possible and we want to keep them working the best. So we want to make sure that we're deploying the right tools from the toolbox at the right time. I'm glad to say we have a lot of tools now. Sure. 20 years ago, not so much so. But here we are today with a lot of great tools and a lot of great operators. Yeah. But you want to make sure you're going to high volume. You want to make sure you're getting the right surgery, the right intervention, the right drug. And the drug question is, is gonna come up a lot and there's a lot of logistics behind this. And I know there's still a lot of questions and there's gonna be more options available in the next two to three years. And they'll be more complicated to figure out which is gonna be right for everybody. But if we all work together and ladies and gentlemen, you're all gonna be offered opportunities to be participating in a lot more research, not only with institutions, but through the HCMA and some work that we're doing. So the more we can learn about your experience, the more we can help the next person down the line. So stay with us on this. 
All right, so Prem gave final comments and then people ask a couple more questions. So Marty, Ethan, any final comments before we say goodbye to everybody today? Well, from my end, Lisa, again, thank you for coming. I'm um, really privileged that uh, LAED has become an interesting center of excellence. Um, and I'm very privileged it's going to be a great experience for our patients here. I agree. And I'll certainly echo those comments from, from Ethan and just say thank you. We've been friends and have worked together for over 20 years now. I'm so, not that old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been actually that long. Um, and uh, you're part of the family in a lot of ways. And I really appreciate, and I know patients all appreciate all the efforts that you and the organization have done to advance the knowledge and understanding and access to information for this disease. There's just no question that that has uh, been a paradigm changer for um, this disease and has set the example of bar for other diseases to follow. So we appreciate you coming for that reason and, 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 and giving us the opportunity to talk about our program in this way. And as Ethan said, we are thrilled to have the opportunity um, as a 2.0 to do what we've been doing for a long time, but to do it better by partnering with people like Prem. We couldn't be more thrilled to work closely with, as well as all the other team members we talked about here at Leahy, to really advance the clinical care for this disease in a way um, that we're excited to do. Fantastic. And uh, our favorite hockey player from Long Island says hi, okay. and he'll see you next month. Okay. Um, hi, Seth. Tell, tell him the parking's free. Again. Parking's free again. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal when you've it been is. in the city right. a long time. And it's, like, it's like 40 bucks to go to, right. to park in some places. And you don't worry about that now. So um, we're going to say thank you very much to everybody and whoever's calling me. I'm going to hang up my wrist phone. Don't you feel like get smart when your phone rings on your wrist these days? Or am I feeling old? Thank you all for joining us. Again, just a couple of programming notes. Number one, next week, uh, next Thursday, uh, we will be, I will be actually doing two things next Thursday. I will be speaking in Washington, D.C. at a policy summit and talking to lawmakers and individuals, policy wonks, about some of the policy issues that are facing the HCM community, reimbursement, access to care, and things on that nature, quality generic drugs. Um, stay tuned. I may have an interesting announcement in about three weeks on, on that. I'll just tease it at that. Um, what Next Thursday night is the Pediatric and Adolescent Big Hearted Warrior Tour. And then the next week, I get to see one of my other favorite people on the planet, uh, and that is Dr. Bill Roberts down in uh, Texas, where we will be doing live anatomy with HCM hearts from donor um, transplant recipients. And I will be joined by one of those transplant recipients in person and another one online as we section their HCM hearts and teach the world what an HCM heart really looks like. That will be on the 15th. Because of some internet issues, we're not sure if it's going to be live at about 11 a.m. or if it's going to be pre-recorded. And then we will live uh, take your questions live um, when we air the pre-recording. Um, but we'll... We'll let you know about that uh, as as we get a little bit closer and we see if the internet is going to work for us or not in a basement in at Baylor. So um, join us there. You can get the information on the website for the registration. Um, all of our programming will be um, live streamed on on Facebook, and then it will be captured for other purposes on YouTube and the website. Thank you all for joining me today. It's been great being here and we're going to be getting back in the car soon and heading back to Jersey. Um, but we are really happy that we got an opportunity to come visit you guys here up in uh, Boston in your new home in Burlington. So thank you all. And thanks to the rest of the Leahy team who was very wonderful to meet with over the last two days. And we look forward to lots of great things. Thank you. Thank you.
Bye, everybody. Have you enjoyed this episode of Tales from the Heart? We hope so. Please visit us at 4hcm.org. Become a member, become a donor, become a volunteer. Great news, everybody. HCM Academy is now available online. What is it? It includes online sessions, learning about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, patient stories about HCM and their management, and an opportunity to join online live with an HCM specialist to go over the slides, ask questions, and dig deeper into your understanding and knowledge of HCM. All CME courses are free, and you can find them at 4hcm.org or at the HCM Academy. The Big Hearted Warrior Tour continues. For the latest dates, please check 4hcm.org. And thanks to our sponsors, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, Invitae, and Boston Scientific. Did you know discussion groups are available at 4hcm.org? Monday through Friday, almost every day you can find a discussion group. Whether you're interested in learning more about ICDs, premyectomy, screening your family, there's a discussion group for you. Even if you just want to learn how to balance your mental health, we have that too. So please join us for one of our live discussion groups moderated by a peer volunteer and you can sign up in advance at 4hcm.org. Just check the calendar for events. Please contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association at 4hcm.org or by calling our office at 973-983-7429. You can contact the HCMA by email at support at 4hcm.org. Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the HCMA, is made possible through sponsorship from Boston Scientific, Cytokinetics, Tanaya, Invitae, and Boston Scientific.